It's Terrible Tuesday. That's terrible. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. That's a terrible idea. I want to know what the hell he's smoking. Something stinks in here. That's terrible. <laughs> it's Terrible Tuesday. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. Well, we know there is a big divide between college basketball and the NBA right now, and it has to do with NBA executives discouraging elite high school basketball players to attend college. And this has been a problem for a while with the one-and-done situation. Well, it really came to a head when UCLA head coach Mick Cronin blasted the NBA after losing a highly priced recruit to the G League. Tracy Murray... Uh, who does the UCLA radio uh, broadcast, and of course the former uh, UCLA Hall of Famer and NBA champion himself, he touched upon this uh, kid yesterday, uh, Deshaun Nix, who actually is from Las Vegas. Now, Deshaun Nix was all set to go to UCLA. He was signed, sealed, delivered, and then at the last moment before he was supposed to start school this past year, he decided to forego college eligibility and jump into the G League. So how's it been going for Deshaun Nix? He's averaging eight points a game right now in the G League. Here's Mick Cronin's comments. He said, I know what was said to him. I know things that were told to him and scared him off about coming to UCLA and playing college basketball. This isn't happening. And that's cool if that's how they want to do it. They don't give a damn about what the hell I say or what I think. I'm the least of their worries. Let's just call it what it is and downplay that this guy was committed and changed his mind. No, no, no. He goes, I actively recruited him. I knew he was signed because you needed a point guard for the team, and that's fine. But let's just call it what it is. We're not on the same team. Now, Cronin described college basketball as a free farm system, and he's referencing the way Major League Baseball is, you know, the farm system there, called college basketball a free farm system for the NBA for 40-plus years and touts that it is has superior benefits for development, which I totally agree with. But, you know, when you go back in the day, these two entities, and I'm talking about the NBA and college basketball, they used to work in concert with each other, and now it's each one looking out for itself. And Cronin's right here. I mean, there is no better training ground than college basketball for the teaching of basketball players, teaching of young men and women, the experience that they get, and more importantly, the exposure. Because Deshaun Nix and anyone who is foregoing their college career to to go to the NBA, if they think that that is a proper training ground, they are sorely mistaken. And I guess, you know, what's terrible for me about this story is, is that we have this divide between college basketball and the NBA, and it doesn't need to be that way. Well, what I don't like about somebody turning pro like that right away, and we know that sometimes kids used to go over to Europe or something like that and play, but they were kind of the exception, certainly not the rule. When you go to college basketball, you learn so much. First off, you can get a degree. I know a lot of the players don't, but there is an opportunity for you to go to class, improve your education, and do some other things as well. But you're also learning team basketball. You're part of a team. You try to win as a team. When you go to the developmental league and you're trying to that, everybody that you're playing with 
is also competing with you basically for a job. So the teamwork isn't necessarily all there because it's more individual play and somebody trying to shine and do their stuff. Yeah, you have to do what the coach tells you and you have to try to find your role or whatever, but it's kind of a different atmosphere. Plus, you're never going to get a chance to experience something like March Madness. You're never going to get to go, maybe go to a Final Four or something. You're not going to get that college experience. And I know some people say that's overrated. Sometimes it's not. Maybe for some guys it is the right thing, but when you go pro, you have to realize once right away, the team you're on, they're not necessarily your teammates. They're almost your competition. It's a different type of vibe and a different scenario. And it seems to me that there's a chance to get lost there a lot more than there is going to college basketball. And the thing about it is this isn't your one-and-done situation where you're immediately going into the NBA draft. I mean, you are just basically signing a minor league deal with the NBA straight out of high school. And, again, you are going to get lost in the shuffle. You're not making that much money. And, again, for a kid like Deshaun Nix, what kind of training is he really getting? Is he average? Averaging eight points a game. I mean, it's not great. Just think, he could be at UCLA. He could be experiencing this atmosphere, like you mentioned, being part of the Elite Eight. And, uh, again, it's, it's just too bad that the NBA and college basketball cannot be on the same page here because it has worked extremely well for decades upon decades and upon decades. And uh, he, Mick Cronin is right. Everything he's saying is right. It served as a perfect farm system. And now whether you decide whether a college player has to uh, play one year in college or two years or three years or whatever, and, and we see the NBA is getting younger and younger, and, and the product really isn't improving. So. No, I, I agree with you. It's not improving. We see a lot of sloppy basketball there. And that's the other thing. In college, you learn so much more. And it, it, the, it, the funny thing is, sometimes the league that's supposed to develop NBA players, to me, they don't develop NBA players. They develop one-on-one -on -one players that are just trying to get seen in that. And that's why sometimes teamwork doesn't necessarily work. How many upsets do we have in the first round of the college basketball tournament? Because team blades have to realize and use their best of their skill set to utilize to advance on to the next round. That's why it's survive and advance. That's why there's team basketball. All right. Moving on. The NCAA is facing criticism for publicized disparities between the men's and the women's basketball tournaments. The NCAA has hired a law firm now to conduct an independent gender equity review of its championships across all three divisions, D1, D2, and D3, and all sports across the board to see the gaps between the men's and the women's sports. Now, this story uh, came to light because the Oregon women's players, the, uh, the basketball team, were posting videos of the differences between the facilities for the men in Indianapolis compared to where the women were in San Antonio. The weight rooms, the food, the swag bags, and there were big-time differences. Oh, gigantic. You saw this. Now, uh, the, the weight room for the women in San Antonio, it was basically like in a closet. I mean, just had a few free weights. It, it was a joke. And this thing went viral with the Oregon women. I do give them credit for, for pointing this out. And they were showing just the meals, uh, what they were getting there. Uh, not, not real quality food compared to what the men were getting in Indianapolis. And then you look at the swag bags or the goodie bags. You know, when you go to a birthday party, you get those things all the time. You know, Numchuck's always bringing those, uh, you know, back up from work. And it, w it was amazing the differences that the men were getting with the women. So on Saturday, because of what these Oregon women did and, and causing this thing to go viral, the NCAA improved the women's weight room facilities in San Antonio after these pictures surfaced. You know, because this isn't a public institution, it's not subject to Title IX rules, which is a little bit crazy. 
equality should mean equality, right? No, I, I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, you know, it, certainly what they originally had was almost an insult. They would have better been better off to say, go find a gym and work out on your own or something like that because there was like a couple dumbbells or something there to lift and you'd almost have to share them. And, and the meals were so different. And like you said, the swag bag, it, 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 here's a T-shirt and, uh, you know, and... A, a box of chocolates or something for you or whatever it was as opposed to this big thing with video games and all sorts of other stuff for the men. So, no, I agree with you. And it, it, the fact that Title IX doesn't have a place in this, that, even that's a little bit strange to me. But, yeah, if, if you're going to do it right, then then it should be equal, you know. If you're going to have the women's tournament, you're going to do the same stuff, then the essentials and the accessories and everything else should certainly be, if not identical, because maybe there's little differences here and there that you want, they should certainly be on the same mm -hmm. par and it should be an equal footing. But yeah, it was exposed and the NCAA looked really, really bad yeah, in this no, one. No excuse for that whatsoever. Again, when you're talking about gifts, you're talking about food, you're talking about weight rooms, you're talking about the essentials here, it, it shouldn't matter what your gender is or what city you're in. Uh, granted, it it should be the same. I, I wish that we could have seen what the NIT was given out to the men's. Because <laughs> something tells me that the NIT was given better stuff than the women's NTAA was. And remember, there's an NIT women's as well, too. So there's probably a disparity yeah. there. Yeah. But the, inve the investigation is underway. All right, well, now, are, are you a big shoe collector? Because I'm not, but I know some guys that are really into the shoes, I, especially I, different I do have, shoes. I do, I do have a pretty good collection of shoes, and I take very good care of my shoes, yes. All right, well, uh, obviously you know Nike. Do you know Lil Nas X? Uh, no. Is that a – who's he play for? Uh, he doesn't play for anybody. He's kind of a rapper. <laughs> well, he recently has teamed up with MSCHF, and they've got a new shoe, which is basically built uh, the same as a Nike shoe that's out there right now. It's not the same as the Nike shoe. Nike had nothing to do with it. The Nike uh, AR Max 97 – well, this other shoe company, MSCHF, has come up with a shoe that they call the Blood Shoe. Uh-oh. It's also known as the Satan Shoe. It's got a pentagram on it. There's a verse from a satanic cult, like uh, that, uh, I guess an anti-Bible type verse in there. And supposedly each shoe is made with at least a drop of blood from somebody at that particular company that's into the shoe. So it's kind of a crazy thing, but, you know, Lil Nas X thought this is kind of a cool thing. They only made 666 pairs, obviously, again, if you're a religion person, oh, you know what that's about. They sell for $1,018 a pair, and if you'd like to get one, you cannot. They are sold out. They immediately sold out at the over $1,000 a pair for the shoes, and now at least one professional athlete, John Jones, a guy who some people think has questionable characteristics of himself, has called BS on it. He didn't say BS. He said the word because he's actually a very religious person, and John Jones has Bible verses tattooed on himself in that. He is very upset by this. He's disgusted by it, says there's no place for it. Now, he originally said he was going to burn all of his Nike shoes and gear and everything else till somebody said yo calm down there champ Nike actually has nothing to do with it he said well I'm actually glad to hear that but Lil Nas X with the Satan shoe or as they call it the blood shoe with the pentagram on it is there a crip shoe I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not up on all my shoes and especially my um my evil shoe world. Uh, 
get the reference. Blood shoe, foot shoe. Okay, we'll go from no, there. No, I, I, I got it. I know you did. I, but I don't know uh, what you did. I, I don't ah! think blood would go good in a blue shoe. Not at all. <laughs> all right. Uh, so last night, if you watch the women's side, I mean, this is crazy. Usually we're playing the opposite days because of the schedule and everything with COVID. You know, the men going on the Friday, Saturday, uh, Sunday, Monday train, and now we're doing the, you know, the, the, you know, the Tuesday with the late lead eight. I, I'm having to get my remote and ex, uh, work extra hard here because I really wanted to watch the Baylor UConn women. Purple game. tunnel, are you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> Baylor UConn women last night. What a game! Probably the best game on the docket last night, both the men's and the women's side. But UConn's leading Baylor 68 to 67. There's three seconds left. This was a crazy game if you didn't see it. By the way, UConn was favored by five, and. Again, how Baylor is even a number two seed and they're in the same region as UConn at number one is crazy enough. And Gina Oriama and, uh, and Kim Mulkey both said that. But the way this game ended was craziness. Uh, Baylor had a double-digit lead. UConn went on a 19 to nothing run to, to take up to a nine-point lead. Baylor came storming back. And sure enough, with three seconds to go, Baylor had the ball with a chance to win the game down 68 to 67. And then uh, Baylor's uh, Dejani Carrington got fouled as she was putting up a shot. My friend, I'm not saying that she got fouled. She got hammered, not by one UConn player, but two UConn players. There was an elbow to her throat from one player, hands to her face from another player. You want to talk about the uh, dark side of the ring? What was the uh, uh, the Bret Hart, the Montreal screw job? Yes. This was the Baylor screw job. It was the big-time Baylor screw job. And not only did it cost Baylor the game, but it cost them their season. No foul was called. She deserved to go to the free throw line and have two free throws with three seconds to go. If she nails those both those free throws, more than likely, Baylor is moving on, upsetting UConn, and they're out of the tournament. Instead, there is no call whatsoever. And here's what really gets me about this. Because there are a lot of national media members that are out there saying, well, you know, people that have never ever played the game, never even coached the game, they go, well, I don't want to see a, a referee determine the game in the last three seconds. If it's a foul, it's a foul. And these same goofballs are saying, well, I know it was a foul, but I'd rather see the players decide it. That is insane logic. It's moronic. It's just like saying, well, you know, on, on defensive pass interference, ah, just let these guys hand fight. Just let them do it. No. If it's a penalty, it's a penalty. If it's a foul, it's a foul. And, again, this costs their team a chance to go to the Final Four. Kim Mulkey was irate about this. Here are her comments, the Baylor head coach. Hi, Kim. Lindsay Schnell from USA Today. Uh, tremendous season, first of all. What did you draw up in the huddle, um, and what did you see when Dijanae drove the ball from where you were standing? What did you see? I was surprised they didn't call a foul. Then write it like that. You don't need a quote from me. I've got steel shots and video from two angles. One kid hits her in the face, and one kid hits her on the elbow. Way to go, Kim Mulkey. I don't blame her for being upset. Again, this isn't just a game. This is, and we know how much money that we, uh, is involved here every time you advance, but just taking this away from those kids. And, and I will give uh, the player, Carrington, all the, the credit in the world because, I mean, she, 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 the team was in tears. She could have been very, very volatile about this. Handled it with class, but this was a Baylor screw job. Well, and these are two of the women's programs that know that women's basketball can be very 
profitable and good for a school because they've both been that way, certainly, with all the success that UConn's had. Of course, when Brittany Griner uh, was down at, at Baylor and the program that they've made down there. But the one thing that you mentioned there that always drives me crazy when people use that excuse, oh, I don't want the referees deciding it. Guess what? If they don't make an obvious call, they have decided it. Yep. They decided it by not doing their job. And if the other team knows, hey, it doesn't matter what we do, as long as there's no blood, there's no foul, then that, that can also dictate the way that they play the game. By saying you don't want them to decide it, you're deciding it. If it's a foul, you have to call it, especially if it's blatant. If it's a ticky-tack and you want to let it go, I don't know. It should be called the same. Would it have been a foul in the first half? Would it have been a foul at the start of the second half? Would it have been a foul with five minutes to go? If it's a foul at all those times, then it's a foul at the end of the game. That always drives me nuts when somebody says, I don't want the referees deciding it because that's exactly what they did by not making yep. the call. And Put her on the line and see what she does. Exactly. And uh, for a, a game and a season uh, to end like that was a travesty. And anybody who saw this can clearly tell you it was a foul. You could have taken your pick by two players. Ridiculous. We need elbows and, and, and hands to the face and the throat. Ridiculous call. Maybe they couldn't decide I mean, who to call the foul on, so they just called none. You know, yeah. two negatives make a positive, right? And, and uh, I, I don't, I don't like that math. <laughs> I don't like it either. But I'm just trying to figure out what they were thinking. But I think their head was up their sphincter. <sighs> all right. Um, we're all tired. At least I know you and I are, of all these fights that aren't actual fights. Well, now we have another kind of celebrity fight coming up that's, well, they are actual names, but is this something you want to see? I know our friend Armando was excited. He sent me a text about it earlier today. Anderson Silva is going to be taking on Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. in a boxing match. Now, remember, Anderson Silva was supposed to fight Roy Jones Jr. He turned that down. Now he's going to be taking on Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Also on the undercard of this fight... Chavez Sr. is going to be getting back in the ring. He wants to fight again. He's going to be taking on Hector Camacho Jr. as well. And then there's a list of other people, some names that you might recognize in that. So these are actual guys that are fighters or were fighters or used to be fighters. Do we really need to see this? And there's people already getting excited about it. Why can't... We just build the fighters out there that actually know what they're still doing and actually have skills. Is this a seniors tour? Is it a joke tour? Is it just a bunch of people saying, hey, everybody else is doing it. Let's cash in. And everybody is doing it. And that, and also we had the news here last Friday. There was a press conference here at the Venetian. And guess who made his announcement? Who's returning to the ring? Oscar De La Hoya. That's right. He was at the Venetian last Friday along with Snoop Dogg as they were promoting that nonsense that we talked about a few weeks ago, Jake Paul versus Ben Askren, right? Which nobody wants to see. But there's Oscar saying, I am coming back. Now, if you remember... He's 48 years old, by the way, Oscar De La Hoya. And remember, last August, he said, I'm, I'm making a comeback. And we talked about it briefly, but then it went away. Well, he took the stage there on, on Friday and saying, I am coming back. And he has a date, July the 3rd. And he said his opponent, he's not going to tell us now, but it's a big-time UFC star. This is going to take place in Texas because, of course, you know there's no limits in Texas for fans. And probably, they said, it's going to take place at Jerry's World at AT&T Stadium. And who's promoting this, by the way? It's not Golden Boy Promotions, his own company. No, it's Thriller. Thriller Entertainment. And, uh, you know, they're going to promote this April 17th nonsense with Jake Paul and Ben Askren. But uh, 
Thriller is a social media app. So if Oscar's going to come back, why wouldn't your own company promote this? That's what I want to know. And why is he doing it? You mentioned Julio Cesar Chavez, all this other. These guys just can't stay away. It is a joke. And, and we're going to see this? And who's the opponent? Oscar wants to get involved in the UFC star? For goodness sakes, you are a six-time former champion. You're a former gold medalist from the United States. He hasn't fought since 2008 since losing to Manny Pacquiao. I love Oscar, but this makes me sick. Well, now you said it's a UFC star, right? You sure it's not a UFC, one of the owners of the company? Maybe it's Rocky. Maybe Sylvester Stallone. It's yeah. July 4th weekend. Yeah. Put on the red, white, and blue. Yeah. Let's do it down yeah, there in Jerry World. Yo, Adrian! <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm so tired of all this stuff here. By the way, uh, the Ben Askren fight against uh, uh, Jake Paul, from what I understand, that's a round to pick him. Because Askren's not known as a boxer, so the, and people remember Jake Paul knocking out Nate Robinson. Mm. Would you bet that fight? Are you going to use your William Hill account no. for in-fight wagering no. on these cards? Not at all. Not at all. Again. And what's just, the pay-per-view going to be? How much are they going to pay me to have to watch this garbage? You know, I understand these fighters. I mean, my, my guy Tony Lopez, you know, great friend of mine who I used to represent. He's a three-time former world champion. He had said this to me just about two or three months ago when he was in town. He goes, hey, man, I, I want to come back. You know, me and Chavez, we got unfinished business, man. He goes, give me that fight. You know, let, let, let's do this. Everyone's, you know, coming back because I was on the heels of the Roy Jones Jr., uh, you know, nonsense that, that, that we saw, right? Right. And, and so... What? Chavez? Boy, Tony's going to be upset about this because Chavez is getting back in the ring, huh? It's it's nonsense. Chavez Jr. Yeah. and Sr. That's what I'm saying. He, he Father and son. Yeah. And, uh, and Tony fought Chavez here at Caesars Palace, you know, going way back in the day in the in the, in the late 80s. Uh, unbelievable how we have to continue with this nonsense. And I, I get it. Once an athlete, always an athlete. I guess it doesn't help when you're, you know, you see Tom Brady winning Super Bowls, you know, at 43 years old. When you see, you know, George Foreman, Bernard Hopkins, you know, you know, fighting, uh, you know, beyond their 40s into their 50s. But at least Tom Brady is still winning Super Bowls playing football. <laughs> what's with the, what's with the MMA guys all of a sudden thinking they're boxers? Yeah, well, that's another story by itself. Yeah. You know, the retired boxers still want to, to get in the ring and thinking they have something. And we've seen that didn't work out so well for Bernard Hopkins, you know, at the end of his career. But now, yeah, this cross-sport stuff is killing me, man. It's killing me. All right. Those are our terrible Tuesday takes. If uh, you got some, we'd love to hear from you as well, too. You can hit us on Twitter, at TCMartin21 on Twitter, and at VGKFrank uh, as well. 